Well, thank you very much, and let's bless the Lord. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. It has been uh, two, around. two months. It's been two months since we uh, did this last. But actually, the break will be somewhat helpful because this is really a change in tact. So, and really throughout the <clears throat> throughout the rest of the study, there is a there is a decided change. I rearranged the study after it was written because of that, uh, because I noticed myself that there seemed to be a little more emphasis on one kind of thing at the at one part and in the other part. So I grouped them together. So we'll talk about why that is here in a moment. Whoever marries a righteous woman is as if he had observed the entire Torah. From the beginning to the end. And that is why Eshet Chayil, or Proverbs 31, 10 through 32, is written according to the 22 letters in the Hebrew Aleph. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, some, yes, absolutely. There's lots of Yalkut yal- yal- Shimon in this, yeah. Uh, Rav Acha is the one who says. So, our focus in the the previous lessons has been very practical. We're learning the language of the bridegroom by observing the practices, both ancient and modern, in particular the practices as they have come to us through the sages and then through tradition that we can observe today, uh, of the wedding itself. It's very practical. You learn... To, to find the things that are kind of cool in what you see and what you do in a wedding and somehow apply it in some way to you. So it's very practical. Uh, however, we're moving now into a much more ethereal place with regard... Because we're going to read Eshet Chayil, and you may be immediately going, ethereal? That's like so practical. I mean, it's talking about the ideal woman. And I want you to know, men that are married can't answer this. I want you to ask, answer the question, is there any woman that matches all of these? Married women can't, married men can't answer this. The answer is, no one matches this. No. It's impossible. Well, no, it's not possible because it's idyllic. But the point is that it's something more. And the sages saw it. This is more than just the ideal woman. This is something to this. Okay? So, it brings up an interesting point. Peter has, has prompted this Discussion over the past six months or so that we're going to have right now. This discussion about what is the purpose? Don't look in your on your outline. What is the purpose for metaphor, symbology, uh, uh, analogy in scripture? Is it permissible? We read the Torah as literal. Is it not literal? And then we sit around in, in study time. And talk about all the cool, mystical stuff. It's like, wait a minute. How does that work? Isn't that just as bad as traditional Christianity? So I, I would say 
coming now that Alan, I'm not putting you on the spot. Well, yeah, but I was just thinking now. He Alan, needs to be on the spot. Yeah, that allegory could be could be fun to you know talk slash think about as long as we're not saying that, that was the meaning of the text and more like just using it as because it's so subjective. Your ca- your caveat your caveat is never mentioned by the sages. Okay. I, I, no, I completely recognize your caveat, and I would agree with you. But I have to tell you, the sages never try and, and put a but in front of it when they say that. They are they are more straightforward. They are. Well, I mean, I think it comes back to the the, the Pardes structure. Right? It does absolutely. So the Prashat is the Prashat, and can't be overturned. Can't can overturned. never be overturned. But it, uh, but that doesn't take away from other layers of meaning at different levels, whether it's you know uh, uh, a Jerash level allegorical. You know, for example, Eshekhayel Proverbs thirty one is is understood not to just be talking about a literal virtuous woman, although it clearly is. Then yeah. you can argue otherwise. But it's also understood to be allegorical, referring to wisdom, yeah. because wisdom. Is Hokma, which has a which is a feminine word, and so it's an allegory of wisdom, and wisdom is resourceful, and wisdom is 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 to be valued and treasured, etc. Right. So uh, both interpretations are completely valid. Valid. Tell me, okay. Tell me the issue. I mean, listen. I know this. I know that. I know the discussion. They are not aware of our discussions in the past on this issue. So. I'm I'm completely sympathetic to your position. <laughs> well, it's valid, but not necessarily true. Which is, I'm, I'm going to stick with virtue. You're, you were you know no no no, no. you were trained well, young man. <laughs> but so, it's not being a stickler for truth. You were trained that don't make stuff up. Right. Yeah. Right. And you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. Okay, now that's a very good point, and we're only going to spend a little bit more longer on this. And I knew I I want to have this discussion first because we're going to get into the allegory. Yes, I would respectfully disagree that if you dive into any kind of allegory, you can make the Bible say whatever you want because of, for example, the Peshat, or even in church history, Origen, who's and uh, before him Philo. They also used a heavy amount of allegory, yet recognized that the surface level meaning of the text needed to hedge in whatever allegory they were doing. So I think that allegory, when taken to an extreme, yeah, you you can tend to get crazy, and that's what happens sometimes. Sure. I would also argue that most of our understanding of Messiah does not come from Bashar. It doesn't. It's almost all allegory. So if you're gonna if you're gonna throw out the other forms, then your understanding of Messiah is yeah, limited, totally limited to New Testament Christianity. Yes, but, and I think the Greek mind tends to be systematic and concerned about what's true and what's not. <laughs> you read my notes. Actually, <laughs> I didn't. Actually, okay, but um, the, 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 the Hebraic mind is whether it's true or not is irrelevant to the point that it's making. Oh, man, you and, said it exactly right. And if you read the Gemara, it'll freak you out at first until you realize, oh, it's actually not. You're not supposed to read it literally. It's, well, actually, they don't almost, care. You can read it if you want. It doesn't matter. It makes more sense if you read it in the in the in the 
metaphor that, that it's trying to present. And here, here's the sentence I came up in that or paragraph. I don't know if this is good or not, but systematically Christianity has used metaphors, homilies, symbols to negate the reading of the Torah, literally. Judaism does the opposite, reads the Torah literally, and then uses metaphors, homilies, symbols, etc. to promote obedience. So what's the goal of the allegory? This is why it doesn't matter if it's true or false. If it results in people following the Peshat, all for it, man. That's awesome. We want people to obey the scriptures. So if we tell stories, I'm not saying we make them up. By the way, the rabbis didn't necessarily make them up. They... They read stuff because we're not native Hebrew speakers. We don't see all the weird stuff in the in the letters. But they, they read it and they go, well, look at that. It's got an extra letter. It's never spelled that way except over here. <laughs> right? Well, they do that all the time. And, and we can't see it in English. And we make fun of them until we read, oh, wow, that's where they got it from. Wow. And do I feel stupid? Because the most outlandish stuff actually does promote obedience in profound ways. This is one of the things that in, in uh, again, mentioned this the Sages series, the three volume Sages by uh, Rabbi Lau. Just just supreme. But one of the really good things about volume two that he goes into depth with is after the description of the of the of the Holy Temple in, in 70 of the Common Era, Judaism became what he calls innovative. Well man, if we read that today, we'd like well, I'm kind of orthodox, not Completely, but I'm kind of orthodox, like innovative. No, no, no. We we don't have a living constitution. We have a constitution. The Torah is set in stone. That's not what he. That's not what he means. Innovative in the sense that he keeps. They keep finding other things within the literal text as they explore it, not to lessen obedience, but to promote obedience. It's pretty. It's pretty. And when you read that and you start thinking about it, it's like. I mean, you can think of a lot of things, you know, traditions that we do today. We kind of you you may you may you know say, well, I, that's a little little over the top. But then when you read the basis for it or where it comes from, then you start saying, well, that that was an innovation. Well, that actually made it a little stricter. Yes, that's right. Not always. Sometimes the innovations actually make it less strict, but never overturning the clear text. That's the key. The key is this: promotes obedience, but never negates the clear. Whereas. Christ, traditional Christianity in their use of symbolism, I would argue their primary purpose was to overturn the Jewish stuff. That's their primary purpose for using symbolism. To overturn it. To make it mean nothing. Judaism is not has never given themselves permission to do that. They, they, they would blanch at the thought. We can't do that. You, you see it even in the keeping of the Sabbath and the turn... To the first day of the week. Yeah. Same, same kind of thing. If, if you ask them, how did we move to the first day of the week? Everything they give you is some type of metaphor, yeah. homily, symbolism, something, but not the text, not the literal text. So I, I understand that people, people, those of us that have come from traditional Christian backgrounds have, been, have a, ironically, a resistance to the metaphor. A resistance to the symbol. Although that's the theology that Christianity presents. Because based on Greek philosophy, it's built upon building a system. Everybody has to agree. It's all in the mind. Therefore, it's all a picture of something. As opposed to the Hebrew mindset, which says, the pictures are everywhere, but the pictures are trying to tell us what to do. Remember, even though we don't derive halakha from 
from agada or hagada, right? We don't derive halakha from it. We use agadic tales to promote the be- obedience to the little text. So when you're reading and you're reading some story and you're going what? And it's and we say we don't derive halakha. It's like well there it is. It's a halakha right there. It's like no 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 no. That was showing you why it's a good thing to keep this tradition. Yeah. Well, and I think that I mean, perhaps one of the most famous, examples, most famous examples of um, the use of midrash is Yeshua's parables. I mean, he's using stories. Whether or not they're true is irrelevant. Some of them may be. Some of them may not be. But that's heresy in, in a conservative theology uh, the seminary. Right? But his whole point is to teach principles that reinforce other elements of the Torah, which is exactly what this is trying to do. So it's like, is is Proverbs 31 talking about Shabbat? Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter because we learn cool things about Shabbat from that that we sort of already knew and this just reinforces that. It reinforces it. You're not getting anything new. It's reinforcing. parents of small children, whether they're, they're religious or not, they tell the story of the boy who cried wolf, George Washington coming down the church. And nobody says, is that, that true? Right. And, and it's not supposed George to be Washington true. It's supposed to be, it, it's supposed to have the, the moral <laughs> significance. The George Washington one, because he's a real person, may be problematic for some people. But no one has a problem with Boyd Collard and Craig Wolf. That nobody goes, wait, is that a true story? Or did that come from a believing rabbi? <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Think about it. We don't do that. People don't do that. You know, they all want to point their fingers when they start coming to a rabbi or show me in the text or whatever else, as, as opposed to saying... Listen, God speaks in the language of men. He gave us minds. He gave us language. We need to use them as long as it's consistent with the scripture. Yes, Just to tag along with that, even the business world has taken that same approach. It's just a simple facts, tell, story, sell. It's the same thing. You can give somebody facts and products and features all you want, but once you tell them the story, you get them emotionally involved right. and actually remember it. Better yet, get somebody else to tell a story. This is what happened to me when I tried that product. Right? All right, that's enough of that. I'm setting the stage because as we move out through the rest of the study, we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time in the, the allegory. Okay? So now we'll dig deep into one of the most famous chapters of Scripture, Proverbs 31. There's not a person that loves the Bible that doesn't love Proverbs 31. It's like, it's idyllic. It's up there with Psalm 119, Psalm 1, right? So, Eshekail, which means what in Hebrew? In English, excuse me. Uh, what do you say? I heard valorous woman. What was over here? Virtuous. A virtuous woman. Any others? An accomplished woman. Anybody got an accomplished woman? Can I get a warrior woman? A warrior woman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so what does it mean? It's ten through thirty-one, not thirty-two. 30, uh, twenty-two verses presented in an acrostic of the twenty-two letters of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. Now, anytime you see the twenty-two letters of that Aleph Bet in Scripture, it's supposed to get your attention for a reason. It's not just a poetic thing. It actually means this chapter should be of special interest to you. The sages consider these 22 verses to be practical, representative, and metaphorical. What do I mean by practical? Your wife should do these things. Or if you're looking for a wife, find one that's like this. Okay, That's practical. What about representative? An idyllic type stage. Yeah. Or we know some people like this in the Bible. Sarah. Rivka. Rahab. Well, no, she was a prostitute. But she was <laughs> repentant. <laughs> Actually, Rahab comes into this. She's in here. 
Uh, practically, these verses describe the ideal Jewish woman. Representatively, they describe various historical Jewish women. And metaphorically, these verses reveal the qualities of Israel, the Torah, the Sabbath, wisdom. Yes. Highly desirable things. And the clincher is they represent us all. So, Aleph, the first verse, verse 10. Somebody read verse 10 to me. Looking for the reference woman, her price was far above rubies. Yeah, I don't know about you. If you don't know anything about gems at all, rubies aren't that expensive. She's far above rubies. Okay, she's far above <laughs> So, Eshet means a woman. Eshet is a woman, right? Eshet is, that's clear. We know it's a woman. A woman of some sort. But what's Kael? Joshua, Joshua said, a warrior. Because actually the best word up the best word up there of all those is probably valiant, something along those lines. The first usage of uh, of Kail is in Genesis thirty four twenty nine. And it's well. A wealthy woman. Who can find her? <laughs> True story. True story. Uh, Joshua's pulled it out from maybe from Vilna Gaon, said that Esha is a warrior. Chael is strength or warrior. And it is. It's very it's very related to strength. It always says strength as part of this key. And, and I mean, not that you can necessarily take modern Hebrew and translate ancient Hebrew because they're different. But in modern Hebrew, if you say you're in the army, you will say you're in the Chael. Yep. In well, fact, one of the er, uh, uh, one of, also one of the earliest mentions was Pharaoh's chayil, his, his his army. His actually it was his elite elite troops in chariots were chayil. So these are so. I mean, have you really thought about that? You know, if you're looking for a wife or you have a wife, you thought of her as arm wrestle chayil, a warrior woman. Those have those of you who have wives that you feel like really fit the description of. Eshet Chayil in this in these verses, you know that this really is her her sterling quality is the warrior woman. This is the one that really, you know, this is the one that really makes her who she is. She's fighting a good fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Exodus twenty four seven, Romans seven twenty one. This is you know almost without fail the sages agree that Eshet Chayil helps her husband obey God. That's her primary benefit. You know, there's a good woman behind every man. There, there isn't. There's a good woman behind every obedient man. Um, and if, the, if that obedient man doesn't have a good woman, he'll be better if he has a good woman. All right? Eshet is one of the reasons why she's worth, in, in practical sense, far above rubies, is because she enhances your sensitivity to God's commandments. That's remarkable. I, I How can I sign up for that? Commentary from um, you know, and she was saying that um, women had enormous responsibility with men because if you look in the scriptures, there are like zero stories of a good woman with a bad man. Yep. There are bad bad men who become good men because of good women, and there are good men who become bad men because of bad women. But basically, the type of character that's in the woman ends up so strongly influencing her husband that she can't turn like you can't a good guy can't live with a bad woman. 
I spent about three weeks reading what the sages said about this, these, these 22 verses. And it, it's remarkable because anybody that's read the Talmud or Kekelot, at least part of the part in the, in the Mishnah, you might have come away with the idea that, you know, look, don't talk to a woman because, you know, it's just idle chatter or whatever else. You might have come away with a sense, it would be incorrect, but a sense that maybe that maybe a little bit, I don't know, a little bit discriminating against women. You read what they say about Meshach Ha'il, they are off. They hold her in the highest esteem. Bait, verse 11. Somebody read verse 11 for me. Got it. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have and he will have no lack of gain. Now, a lot of the sages said he will have no lack of gain. Look, this goes right back to verse one: wealth. She she is going to she is going to provide for you such a uh, number one. If you follow God's laws, then you will be successful. If you if you if you treat people well in business, you know it will come back. There's a reward. But he trusts her also that while he's gone, when he comes home, everything will be in order. That, that's what I saw, you know, especially with the uh, the comments you gave us and, and the things. And I feel this way about my wife, and I'm I'm willing to bet real American dollars pre-inflation that he feels the same way about his wife, yeah. and you feel the same about yours. That over the years you've established such a trust that there's there's gain in knowing that this particular one. He's in charge of your affairs. Mm-hmm. So you, you go out to work, you come back, and your affairs are in order. That's right. Because you've got a great steward. For me, for me, it's really well illustrated because I travel, not all the time, but when I do travel, and, and I, at least most of our marriage life, we always joke because we've only been mad married half the number of years <laughs> because I was gone half the time. But anyway, the, uh, but I used to travel much more. And uh, that was, it's, it's like when I came home, it was a ritual. I come home. Uh, Janet would tell the boys, don't say anything other than say hello, welcome back, don't say anything to dad until he comes out of the room, you know, out of his room. I change clothes because I come in in a uniform with a suitcase. First thing I do is unpack my suitcase. Then I change out of my uniform. I don't do anything until I get out of my uniform. And it's not because I don't like it, it's just because it's part of that idea that I was away and now I'm home. It's, it's, it's part of being home. That same feeling coming home, knowing that everything is exactly in order. She learned this, because it wasn't this when we first were married. She learned this, that it really bothered me a lot when I came home, and she had a list of all the bad things that had happened to her while I was gone. I knew bad things were happening to her. But it made me feel awful that I wasn't there. So she made a point of making sure the boys and her never came to me with all the bad news when I came home. You've been saving it up, man. <laughs> they didn't. Well, that's the impression I got. The heart of my my heart trusts her. I come home. I know everything's in order. She's handled everything. Not only well, she's handled it better than me. Moshe, uh, Moshe Aslich said, "Eshekhael is completely trusted by your husband because she determines what is permitted and forbidden in the house." This is a really remarkable thing. People think that in really strong households, where you have a strong male. And he's especially, if he's Torah observant especially, but even if he's not very conservative scripturally and, and biblically, that somehow he sets the tone. And that may be true in a, in a broad sense, but in knowing what's permitted in the home, I can guarantee you it is the wife 90% of the time. She's saying this is what's permitted and this is what's not permitted. Even in non-religious homes you find that's true. She's setting the Hanukkah. That's right. So if you recognize this, 
This is something that should be promoted and fostered in your relationship. Rick, I'm probably the most anal of every guy. No, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much there too. <laughs> um, that's true. <laughs> um, but that's that's the way it is here, and it's not because I'm unwilling to say how it will be, but my wife is doing it here. Yep. It's this is her realm. It's her realm. I've given that to her. Yep. And and basically, she sets the halakha for the house, and they must obey. If they don't obey her, then. I'm the one who's dealing with an inability <laughs> or an unwillingness to remain under her authority. Right. And it's the authority that I've given her Absolutely. to run this. And it, and it works. If you look at the way the world treats us, they turn this upside down. Kail, who's the, who's the warrior? I mean, what is the, you know, what is the old caveman uh, caricature represent? Well, he goes out and fights the battles and the, and the little woman's at home in the cave making sure... Trains the girl home with right? her hair. Right? And this is exactly the way our culture has treated women that stay at home. Somehow, you know, they're the little women that stay at home and the man's out there, you know, braving the world. Eshekail's the warrior. She may be at home, but she's the warrior. Abraham's comments to Sarah is emblematic. You know, First Peter three one through six. Somebody's got it. Can pull it up for me. I have it. You have it. You always have it open to Peter, right? He's memorized Peter. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning the external liberating of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Are you, and you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Sarah was profoundly strong. Profoundly strong. You see that this week in studying Kaisara, looking looking at her life, her name means strength. You know, that's very similar to Kaido. Her name is the is the is the is the name that you'd give a warrior, conquering warrior, you know, a Sar. So she's like uh, she's she's very, very much in control. Yes, she calls Abraham Lord. She submits to him. Where was that submission when she came to him with advice? Send that woman out of here. And God said, listen to her. <laughs> so Sarah's, Sarah's very careful. If you watch what happens. You watch this. And you, you find this is true in other people's lives and marriages. You see it's true. That strong woman is a public persona or even a family persona it's but when the doors are shut that she speaks to her husband not ne not necessarily in a disrespectful way but that's when she really says what's on her heart when the doors are open and everybody can see she's in absolute complete submission this is sarah this is powerful influence of without a word well, the way it works at least in my experiences behind closed doors is when god speaks 
through her. Absolutely. Yeah, if you, if you haven't figured this out yet, let me tell you something. When your wife says something to you privately, she doesn't say it to anybody else, you better listen. <laughs> or, or when you're our age, you'll have stories to tell right. when you didn't. But this, the interesting thing is, now we're talking about a woman's advice as being very, very powerful here. But here in First Peter, you're saying without a word even. Wow. That means her character, borne out by what she does, her lifestyle, is more profound for her husband than anything. She guards me constantly without saying a word. Over the years, I've had people come to me with marital issues or whatever else. What can I do about my husband? He doesn't want to follow me in this, this well, you know, for before it was a Torah walk. He, can't, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to come to church with me or whatever else. Now it's like, my husband doesn't get this, you know, and I want to, you know, I want to follow the Torah. What should I do? I said, obey your husband. Well, wait, that means I'll be walking away from God's word. I said, listen, don't disobey God's word, but you need to submit to your husband. Not only that, even if you obey, you should obey in such a way that is not a confrontation with what he's telling you not to do. You need to obey in such a way that he can be convinced by your attitude that it's a worthwhile thing. Wow, that's a changed woman. She used to, she used to nag me into doing the right thing. Now she doesn't say anything. She just does it. Yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about. So, she's Batak Balev, her husband's heart, safely trusts her. Even though she's good in so many ways, but especially this intuition. Matthew 16, 9, with submission comes great authority. Here's the submission. This is where Yeshua gives authority to his disciples. His disciples are not masters. They are disciples. They worship him. They are at his feet learning from him. He gives them authority to exercise. This is much the same way. So submitting, a wife submitting to her husband is not to say she's a doormat. It's that she's been given great authority. Gimel, Maltutov, verse 12. Somebody read verse 12 for us. She does some good. <laughs> she does some good and not evil all the days of her life. I have highlighted all the days of her life. Those are some of that didn't do your homework, tell me what you think that means. <laughs> All the days of her life. So when she dies, okay, I find another wife. <laughs> she only does me good while she's alive. Is that it? The sages said something completely the opposite. They said if it had meant all the days of her life, they would have said all the days of your life. All the days of his life. Right? She doesn't good all the days of his life. So as long as he's alive and she's alive, she's doing him good. Right? Actually, it said the reason it says all the days of her life is because it means it never stops. The wife that you have now, she does you good. Not just now, she does you good for eternity. She, Her value to you is eternal. Cannot be placed simply in days of our lives. Uh, Proverbs 12.4. Uh, Somebody read that for me. A capable wife is a crown for her husband, but an incompetent one is like the rot in his bones. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, the unfortunate part of doing this study on Eshekayo is there's a, there's a converse. You know, there's the opposite. And the opposite is, what if a woman isn't Eshekayo? Well, you can almost take every one of these qualities and you can turn around to the opposite. Wow. Women are either a great gift or a curse. Mm. Proverbs 19.14, she's a gift from God. This is absolutely true. 
A good wife is a gift from God. Dalit. Darshar Semer Ufishtim. Verse 13. Somebody read verse 13 for me. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Here's the flax. All right, now we're going to get metaphorical. <laughs> she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Okay, my wife's an American. She grew up in Texas, so she knows something about wool and beef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wool and beef. Well, her, her grandfather was a chef, was a was a sheep farmer, and then later became a a, a, a cattle farmer. So she knows she knows about wool and beef. So, but flax, she doesn't know anything about flax. So. This doesn't apply to her. You can't have a garment that's woven between beef and wool, right? Six no. <laughs> wool and flax. Linen and wool. Joshua's point is correct. We see the flax. Flax is what you make. In, if, you're, if you're living in the land of Israel, there's not a lot of cotton. So what are you going to make your clothes with? You're going to make it out of what natural material you're going to make it out of? Than skins, you make it out of flax. So linen is flax. So linen is from plants, has a limited wear. Not usually very warm, but it's it breathes really well. It's not cotton, right? Whereas wool, that's like it comes from the animal. It comes from an animal. It's more expensive. It costs you something. The animal you can't you know you can't regrow it. <laughs> Take it from the animal. It's done. Actually, I guess the wool you can shear. Yes. Uh, wool also wool also is uh, can be colored, whereas flax is difficult to color. So it's a, a much more valuable. So, but she seeks wool and flax. And the, mention, and the mention of putting them together. There's outlines right over there. Well, there were. Have no, I got an outline there? Take excuse me. <laughs> See, she's flax and willingly works with her hands. So, what'd you get out of that? Did you get that? Clothing is good deeds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, now we've told we've been told this. If you so, read Revelation 19, you've been yeah, told that right. clothing is good right. deeds. So this is the, the the white deal here is the yeah. actions, right? Yeah. Good deeds. I couldn't figure out what the wool was. Why wool and flax mix? Mine are flax. I have white only for those of you on the on, on the recording. I have white tzitzit. There's no tefillin in it. I have flax. I know. <gasps> well, I haven't disobeyed. I just haven't obeyed completely. <laughs> I had tefillin on this morning. How is that flax? This is flax. Well, this is the equivalent of flax. This is actually cotton. You can't you can't dye that. I can't dye this easily. But you can dye wool. What can I dye easily? Wool. wool. What's tefillin? Wool. So when you wear it, you have if you have tzitzit on with tefillin, you have mixed. You have mixed. But it's not a garment. You no, no, it's a garment. You have mixed tefillin on the garment. You have mixed wool and linen, or the equivalent. It's the only time, except for the high, except for the priest's clothing, high priest's clothing, that you can mix. That's the point. The reason why we wear tefillin in our tzitzit is to say, I'm not a priest. But this is like a priest. I would argue Reminds it's, it's not the garment. You're tying it on the garment. That was it's definitely metaphorical I'm, of the So, place. let me ask you this woman. Dale. Darshar Tzemer Ufishtin. She seeks wool and flax. Why is she seeking wool and flax? She, she has sons. sons. She makes zitzi for them. Yeah. <laughs> well, no question. Know, and that works. Yeah. Wool, wool and flax 
once they're once they're processed, uh, their natural color, if I'm not mistaken, is white. That's right. Right. So, and we see throughout the scripture, you know, uh, robes of white, garments of white for the righteous. And that's what this is. Clothing is good deeds. So the wool and flax is for clothing, not just seed seed, right? For clothing, it's good deeds. She's she seeks good deeds. We're, we're only just we're just skimming the surface here, guys. There's a lot deeper stuff. <laughs> and you really can't. I mean, I think the closest connection to good deeds here is in the tzitzit. The tzitzit actually represent the commandments of God. That's right. They are good deeds. Because like, when you see them, you will remember the commandments. So it's like. It's as though the tzitzit themselves are the good deeds, literally, of the Torah. If you see other people wearing tzitzit, you keep you from sin. Seeing other people. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Peter, would you please look this up and read I would appreciate it if you do. <laughs> I'm picking on him because I love him. <laughs> I have it. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. No. no. 19. Yeah. 1973. John would fit so well with the Savior. They're saying, oh, that's just obviously clothing. It's a good deed. It's a good deed. <laughs> She's going to come back to this because this woman does a lot about clothing. <laughs> and we know that women are really a lot about clothing. Uh, clothed in fine linen that is flax. Righteous deeds. In Deuteronomy 15, 37, none no, of you need to no, look this no, up. No. Numbers. 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 So, thank you very much. Deuteronomy is not this. Numbers talks about disease. That's right. Yeah, you know what it was. I was typing. Right. I was typing three paragraphs, and I got numbers or Deuteronomy six, Deuteronomy eleven, and I go, okay, what's the third paragraph? It's numbers. Deuteronomy does mention it. Though. Yeah, Deuteronomy does, but not fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for catching that. Sorry about that. ZT are threads from wool and flax tied together. Any more to add on Dalit? No, but I didn't realize. I thought the ZT were hundred percent wool, so they're mixed. The white is not because they all feel the same. Well, Our modern seeds are today, not flax. Today, but cotton. Right. And actually, they may be some sort of rayon at times, too. They bounce a little bit like everything. <laughs> but uh, the tzitzit, the, the tekela is supposed to be wool. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if they always are, but they're, they're supposed to be wool. Some of, them, some of them that you buy actually are all wool. Yeah. Here's, here's, the, here's the idea behind it. In ancient times, the dyes were very bad. They didn't last. Tehillah is actually a very good dye. It lasts. The problem is it doesn't it doesn't bond it stick. To, 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 to plant material. It bonds best. And this wool is always this wool is a very good bonder to dye. So Tehillah, that's how you know it's wool. Is because you can dip you can dip flaps in Tehillah dye all day long and it could be good for a little while, but it would fade pretty quick. Textiles, man. Textiles. Uh, now our modern textiles, you know, they're they're really good at dyes, and you know, they get all sorts of funky stuff, and you could do tehillah on anything, but that's not real tehillah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Heidi Kenyon Soche, verse fourteen. Somebody read it. She's like the merchant ships. This is one of my favorite. 
She's like the merchant. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what was that? That's only it's funny. Fun. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's like a ship owner. It's a, exactly. it's a merchant ship. It's a merchant ship spackle. So we do this. It's one of those sounds. Well, usually when I read this in English to my wife on a Rev Shabbat, usually I have some funny little thing that I'll add. Well, funny to me anyway. Funny little thing that I'll add in there that she's done during the week. And usually on this one, I can add something pretty easily. She brings her food from afar. You know, something she brings her spaghetti from afar or something. Whatever. <laughs> uh, she's like the merchant ships. So, Rabbi Moshe Ashley, I love this guy. This is actually a really cool guy. Um, uh, he's not a he's not a sage of, of of ancient times. He's a sage of 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 the uh, uh, not the Rishonim. What's after the Rishonim? So, the Akhenaten. Yeah. So he's like you know, I think it's actually 17th century. Uh, the best times. <laughs> he's the worst maybe a little bit. <laughs> that was a good thing. Anyway, uh, he said the merchand- merchandise is are good deeds. I love this. And the ships are worse. That was the ships are awesome. And if you know the Midrash, that one soul departs every night when goes to bed, then this is even kind of cooler because it's like right. the ships are, uh, the soul is literally transporting the good deeds to heaven. To heaven. To heaven. And that's the whole point. Y'all, y'all have heard the story before, maybe not, and if not, I'll take just a few minutes to tell it. You've heard the story, uh, it's been told in messianic circles for a number of years about the parable of the, of the, of the man who's shipwrecked on a, on a desert island who he thinks it's a desert island. There's actually natives there. And, and the natives, is, they, they, he's, he's like their lost king. He doesn't know who they are. But they think, you're the guy we've been looking for. And they, they put him up in the best little hut and they, they give him all sorts of best food and clothes and he's like living high on the hog. And one day he's looking and there's an island across the way and he goes, what's that island over there? And they go, oh, that's where our, our other kings went. Your other kings? Oh, yeah. When our new king shows up, our old kings go over there. And he goes, can I go see? So they take him over to the that place and there's all these bones everywhere. And he's saying, what happened? He goes, well, he didn't have any food or anything. I mean, it's like, this is what happens. But we can't bring our old king. We can't keep our old king with our new king. So he's thinking, okay, the next guy that gets shipwrecked, I'm the old king. What do I do? So what he did was he gave instructions to this his subjects that they should build a nice palace over there on the, a nice hut over there on the other island. And they should stock it with all sorts of food. This is she, she's like the merchant ships who brings her food from afar. She's laying up her treasure. This is exactly what Yeshua is talking about. She's laying up her treasure. This is what she's known as. She's like the merchant ships. She's con- her good deeds are constantly laying up treasure, and she's it's her soul. This is not something that she does flippantly. It's it's her being. Her good deeds are part of her being. It's her essence. It's her essence. Yes. Proverbs fifteen six. By the merit of her good deeds, she brings true treasure to her home. Do you believe that? Somebody read Proverbs 15, 6. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. You know, we could argue, hey, look, there's a lot of righteous people that are poor, and there's a lot of wicked people that are very rich. What's true treasure? And when you begin to see that true treasure, in your wife or future wife. The true treasure in good deeds that she, because she's been carefully selected by Hashem to be joined to you, 
That's a pretty powerful thing. Wow, it's like, can you not see that as a gift from God? Wow, I can't believe that this grace has been given to me, that you gave me this woman that is laying up such treasure for us. Matthew 16, 9, Eshekiah's true work to her husband is incalculable in this life. Even the treasure evident in her children's lives. This is one of the things that it's, you know, that we're going to get to it next, uh, next time we do this study, but the whole idea that her children rise up and call her blessed is evidence of this. She's, she's, she has a lasting influence. But it's not just lasting influence, because fathers have lasting influence too. It's not just lasting influence in the sense that, well, that was my dad, you know, or that was my grandfather, or that was my great-great-grandfather, or whatever else, and wasn't their life cool and all that. She has lasting influence because she has not only helped physically create these children, the children are the direct result of her molding. She's a righteous woman. Fathers, we can take some credit because obviously God has placed us where we are. Yeah. But the real credit to the, to the children goes to the wife. Amen. If she's a righteous wife, but guess what? If she's not a righteous wife, when you see children misbehaving, don't point their finger at the father. The father may be to blame. But you need to understand the mother has a very important role that's not being filled. So, she's like the merchant ships. What's she laying up in storehouse? She's not only laying up storehouse in the world for the world to come, she's laying up storehouse for generations to come. That's, you start thinking about that. Wow. Man, it just gives you chills. If that were not the case, there would be no mention of matriarchs in our faith. That's right. My sons, I've taken them all aside and at various points told them, I want you to understand, if anything happens to me, your mother is always to be taken care of. And here's why. You'd have nothing without her. Amen. You'd be nothing. Everything that you have, you could say, God gave to me because of her. Vav. Vav. Lalaila. Think of Jonathan when I hear that word, Lalaila. Lalaila. Verse 15. Somebody read verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Actually, this is my favorite one. We <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, experience this every morning because especially as it gets closer to the end of daylight savings time, mm-hmm. our, our wake-up time is prior to the rise of the sun. So my wife is busy making breakfast before the sun has arisen. So. Very good. This issue of she arises while it's yet night. The, the, the sages are very intrigued with the, the symbology of here, her rising while it's night. Night. She's not merely industrious is what they said. She's zealous. She's like, she's not just getting up because, well, it's time to make the donuts. You know, she's <laughs> jumping out of bed because she's got to get, she's got stuff to do. Okay? But the real thing that they want to focus on was that picture of darkness and night is death or or disaster or bad news that even when her even in spiritual darkness she can rouse her soul even when she is going through spiritual darkness she can rouse her soul she knows that the reward for good deeds far outweighs the temporary pain that she's going through Could somebody turn to Matthew 26 36 through 45 
Just turn just read it. Smart Alvin. Then Yeshua went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, it is possible let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here's the thing about here's the, here's the thing about Eshekayel. She recognized. I'm, oh, sorry. Well, you looked up like. Oh, well, I looked up to see when the uh, stopping verse. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, "My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done." And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying. Um, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand the Son of Man is betrayed to the hands of sinners. Wow. Thank you. Um, does anybody, I mean, not play the hypothetical and probably would have been inappropriate in, the, in, the, in that setting, but can you ever imagine Miriam and Martha, would they have almost asleep? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eshekiah recognizes that the physical that she's going through, or her family going through, or whatever people are going through, can both help and hinder spiritual uh, senses. Proverbs 20, thir- uh, 13, it's easy to be comforted, so her zeal keeps her focused on the task. Excuse me, it's easy to be comfortable. She's not comfortable, it doesn't matter. Anybody can be comfortable. So she's, she lets her zeal keep her focused. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Somebody read that for me. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your father. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Remember, Paul's told Timothy, you know, bodily discipline or physical discipline is of some benefit. This this woman finds... A great benefit in discipline of any sort. She rises well and see at night. Well, Every morning I get up and it's dark. <laughs> but I'm thinking about her. <laughs> All right. Zayin. Verse 16. Somebody read verse 16. She considers a field and buys it from her prophet. She thinks of any So, uh, Sounds like she's like the farmer woman here, huh? She plants a vineyard. Is it the masculine? Anybody get the sense of what that means? 
It's in the masculine. The verb is in the masculine. She plants a vineyard. Plants is masculine. Remember, Hebrew, like many languages, they have masculine and feminine. The verb has to match, match the, the noun or the object. So she's, she plants, masculine plants. What do you think? Would be planting with his, the husband's authority? That's, that's actually some of the sages said that. Yeah. Really? Sure. I've, I've done this. Yeah. I'm out there tilling and preparing for the planting. And that's the first step is to till and to prepare the soil. And my wife is right behind me and planting the plants in here. We're doing this together. It's cooperation. Now, in the... Uh, you know, in the symbology that the sages like to pull from this, obviously they pull into representative or whatever else, but in the symbology of this, what they were, you know, the metaphor, they're saying, well, she is us, and we're at work in God's vineyard, and, you know, we envision the field, and we plan it, but we recognize that God really did all the work. We, we did the work, but he did the work. Without him, it never would have been done. So that's what that's what the focus of the majority of what they said with regard to the change in in, in gender mm. of the verb. That's cool. That is cool. It's pretty Christian. <laughs> You'd be surprised. The sages come sometimes come across that way. <laughs> Jeremiah thirty one one through six. Israel plants in God's land. I mean, you think about this. It's like. You know, envisions a field. Actually, they spent a lot of time on this one. Various sages love this because they see they see envisions a field. Well, that's the land. That's the land of Israel. And I mean, they wouldn't have the land of Israel without God. So, but she envisions it. In other words, the way our minds—if we played this metaphor—we'd switch it. We'd say God envisions a field, and you know, and you know, we plan. But God envisions a field. Instead, it's. She envisions a field, and he plants it. God's much more at work in our good deeds than maybe we... I mean, we always say, well, it's all because of God. But maybe he's much more involved in our good deeds than we even comprehend. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Someone look that up for me, please. And even um, when you take away the uh, predestination level sovereignty of God, um, even on a much more simplistic level, God is necessary to keeping the keeping of good deeds. I mean, the sages talk about that idea that you ask God for opportunity to do good deeds. He's the one who brings strangers across your path. That's why we bless him before we do a commandment, because we recognize that he's prepared this moment for us and that he prepared it in order for us to be blessed. Right, he gives you the food that you bless him for. That's right. Well, what did they, was there any commentary from Kazal on from her earnings? Yeah, it says from her earnings. Yeah, there's lots. There's pages and pages. No, no, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Actually, every almost anything you can comprehend to have being important and the things you'd never have noticed if you just read in English, they, they love it. Right. They, they love these passages. Because I have used this verse, I've heard this verse used as 
that the wife is supposed to be in the work force and the man is supposed to be at home. Well, okay, what do you think? I, well, just based on the What's, tradition. But, okay, let's take Peshach. Yeah, let's look at the plain. What's the plain, what's the plain text? Could we ever say that she can't envision a field and buy it? No, we can't say that. If, if your wife envisions a field and buys it, you can't say you can't do that because the Bible's well, no, the Bible wouldn't say you can't do that. But I think if you put this in the context, this is where I think this is the thing, this is the problem with um, symbolism and allegory oftentimes. Symbolism and allegory often only work within a very narrow context. So the symbolism and they're incorrect, rather. Good symbolism and allegory is healthy and can be the true meaning of the text. Maybe. Can be the true meaning um, of the text? Uh, are a bit within the context, a broader context. So in this verse, you could take this and extrapolate it to saying, well, woman should be in the workforce. But if you fit it What's within, a workforce? Oh, right. I need to know what a workforce is. A woman should be working outside the home. I, I don't know what that means. I'm thinking about these people right here. There's a field outside the backyard. No, no, not necessarily. But I'm thinking about these people right here. I'm sorry she's not stuck at home. Right, but at the same well, what time, is she doing? She's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, but well, again, look at the context she's of the entire chapter. To the market. She, she is... She, she lives is, on a farm. She goes in and out. <laughs> but, like, she's got... She is sort of, like, based at home, as it were. In other words, her home... Work does not suffer because of her outside work, and that I think absolutely. That we're we're going to get to that point right there in a second. Yes, I think to, to help Joshua kind of tie that in well, we we don't need to worry about a cultural context as long as we keep with the context of the first fifteen verses. Of course, that this woman is such an asset to her husband. That he trusts wherever her she is to deal with all of his yep. life. All of them. Yep. She is she is not merely Susie Homemaker. That's right. one of the the dangers of this. And and I know that, you know, especially coming from a conservative Christian perspective, that's the ideal. Well, she's Susie Homemaker and she doesn't do anything else. And that's not the Proverbs thirty one woman. I think about the end when it says get rid of the fruit of her um, Wow, that's jumping ahead. Hey, that's but right. And her like, own works praise her in the gates. Yeah, it seems like that frees her up to do this. Yes, it does. We're going to touch on this in a second because I think that all, all of these are, are alluding to a, an issue that might come up. You say, well, if she's so busy doing all this good stuff away from home, then she's letting the home suffer. Planting always harvesting. Did we get to this one? We didn't read it. Actually, let's do that. I asked someone to look it up. So someone read it, please. <laughs> For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not find out his days, fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. 
For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, or or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of Adonai, and their descendants with them. Therefore they will call, and I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They will not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountains, says Adonai. Interesting. You're getting in touch now why the sages really like these, this symbology here because they think Eshechayil is Israel. Because that's what it sounds like right there. Not only Israel, but Israel receiving the reward in the Messianic age. But it describes this woman. Let's go read Song of Solomon. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do that too. I'm sure. <laughs> John 4, 33-38, uh, harvesting uh, what Hashem has planted. The, the metaphor there is obviously the world is, is, the, is the field and, and gathering disciples for uh, Hashem is, is the reaping. Ket, Chagrada Osmotnea. Verse 17. Somebody read verse 17, folks. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She strength, with strength, she girds her loins is from is from Art Scroll. Not naturally strong. Now, I know that some are. But this is this woman we're describing, Eshekhayil. Not naturally strong. She strengthens herself by motivation and discipline. Okay? She knows that her strength comes from Hashem. This is, so, it's not that she doesn't recognize she has talents and and merit. She recognizes that, but she understands that it come as a result of God being a part of her life. She disciplines herself to enhance that. Psalm twenty nine eleven. Somebody read that for us. The Lord will give strength unto his people, and the Lord will bless his people with peace. So strength and shalom go together here. You wouldn't think they go together. Right? What do you if you, if you have shalom? <laughs> Everything's calm. You're relaxed. It's shalom. Right? You don't think about being strong. Right? Strength and shalom is an interesting combination. Strength and shalom. Have a strong military. Absolutely. No, no, we understand this. I'm just saying that from a from a modern liberal mindset, you think peace means. I The peace thing is a, a big. You see, you see peace. Not peace. That's that's the problem. It's not peace. It's shalom. Shalom's totally different than peace. Having the shalom in the house. I mean, you. So not only in this chapter, but when you read through Proverbs, it mentions more times than I can remember yeah. having not having a contentious wife. Because if you have a contentious wife in your home, yeah. you yeah. might as well not even live there. That's not like a shekel. Put your bed on the roof. You bet you rather be on the oh. roof or the corner of your Dread. roof. It makes sense because if I do something that upsets my wife, I'm now completely in the wrong and the house feels uneasy yeah. because of my action. Yeah. Isaiah 12, uh, 11. Hashem is our strength and our song. Luke 6, 40. Somebody read Luke 6, 40 if you don't know by memory. Jesus. 
If you don't know it's by memory. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So, look, the teacher disciplines himself as well. But the teacher is a, the whole idea is a teacher disciplines his students. Period. If you don't want discipline, you're in the wrong life. Wrong faith. Wrong faith. Hebrews 12, 11, discipline yields the fruit of righteousness. So she knows this. She knows this. She rises well as all and what is yet night and indicates she understands the purpose of discipline. Tet. Verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Okay, now we got Sarah. There's no question this is Sarah. Her lamp does not go out at night. You know, it is obvious, and actually, if you want to know, one of the reasons why that that tale of Sarah, that her Shabbat candles never extinguished during the week, it's from this verse. Uh huh. Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Must be Sarah. <laughs> Who else could it be? She discerns that her merchandise is good. So, what's enterprise? Well, that's deeds again, no question. And her lamp does not go out by night. What's night? Remember their thought, that's death. So she has her deeds have eternal outcome. She knows this though. She knows her deeds. She discerns that her enterprise is good. She understands the value of good deeds. If if the guys in the class did not read their homework and what you wrote on this particular one, I mean it's it's extraordinary with the whole Egyptian night thing and missing the hay and yeah. holy cow! I mean, it's, it's well. Talk, sorry, talk. we're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to get it here. Oh, okay. So, Belaya. Thank you, Jonathan, for everything. <laughs> Always imprinting that word into our into our minds is such a great word at night. Right? At night has no letter A. Rashi says Exodus 24 uh, 12:42 is the only other place that Belaya doesn't have a hay. What's up with that? Well, what is Exodus 12:42. It's Pesach. This is talking about Pesach. So her enterprise is good. Her lamp does not go uh, go out by night. It's talking about Pesach. The lamp of good deeds is not extinguished by death, but continues to burn. Which good deeds? Covenant good deeds. Not just I was nice to those people. Covenant good deeds, illustrated by Pesach, right? That'll preach. Psalm 119.55. Remember his name in the night. Have you ever had a scary night? You don't have to be young to have a scary night. I had a scary night about six years ago. I was flying into Manchester. Unbelievable thunderstorms. Unbelievable thunderstorms. And I don't have enough fuel to go anywhere except right there. And there's a thunderstorm over the field. And I'm thinking, great. I just sent my son to Jerusalem. I just sent another son to... Colorado City, and they're going to have to come back here for my funeral. I'm not lying. That's exactly what I was thinking. Or if your ice makers ever made noise in the middle of the night, you thought somebody broke in your yeah, that That's similar. That's yeah. Very, very level. Right. <laughs> 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 you're not slide, and it's not yours. The racking of a slide is always good if it's from the coming your hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you remember his name in the night. Here's the thing is, of the things that crossed my mind, I, I can't say that I didn't remember his name. 
But the first thing I'm thinking about is I'm going to die and my sons are going to have to come back here and be in my funeral. That's the first thing I'm thinking. Remember his name by the night. I mean, obviously, we get the heart pounding and we got to do stuff. we got to act quickly or whatever else. That's all understandable. But do we remember his name in the night? She remembers his name in the night. Right? Snap rack. Reload. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you all know this song? The Lamb? The lamp, the lamp is the, the light is the mitzvah. The lamp it shines on is the Torah. Yeah. The light it shines is the Torah. Yeah. So that's what Proverbs twenty uh, six twenty three says. And Yeshua says he draws on this and he, and he points us and you're the light of the world. You know, don't hide it. You're the light of the world. So what do we do? We hide it. Under a bushel. Under a bushel. I cut my seat. I mean, I'm wearing I'm wearing full uniform today. Could you see my ZZ? Couldn't see it. I had a hat on, but you just didn't know that was my keep. <laughs> Alright. Yo. Verse 19. We're almost done, guys. She stretched her out her hand to the distaff. Hands grasp the spin. Hands grasp the spin. What's up that? So she's spinning. Well, if she's spinning, what's she doing? She's making clothing. What's clothing? Good deeds. Good deeds again. But where does she making these deeds? It doesn't matter. She's stretching out her hand to the distaff, which are definitely not in her home. Yep. No. So. Somebody go reverse twenty for me, real quick. The other thing. To the poor. Spindle. What up? This is spindle and distaff. Yes, spindle and distaff are on, are all, 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 all no spindle and spindle and distaff are 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 the same thing. Oh. Yeah. Um, verse twenty. Somebody read verse twenty real quick. We're going to read it again. Stretch out her hands to pour. That's it. The pour. Her hands to need. The sages said, verse nineteen and verse twenty go together. Yeah. You can't have one or the other. And what they said was, and this is what you guys were alluding to. She can't go out being industrious, doing good deeds for other people if she doesn't do it for her family. Right. So her kesed begins at home first in private. It's with her husband, with her children, then with others. Now. Remember, we're not just stopping with picking on finding a great woman. Well, I'm glad I don't have to be the woman. This is supposed to be us. This is supposed to be Messiah's people. So we're not supposed to be abroad doing good deeds if we don't do them for the people that we love that are Preach closest it, to us. Preach it, chesed. What's chesed? Loving kindness. Covenant faithfulness. Chesedic. What are chesedic people? Those are the those are charismatic folk, right? Joyous. Yeah. They are joyous, but why? Why are they called Hasidic? It's not because they're joyful. It's because, and what is piety? It's this loving kindness. They understand. They understand that there's a covenant relationship at work. We should understand this. There's a covenant relationship at work. There's a vertical covenant relationship, and a part of that vertical covenant relationship is a familiar covenant relationship. All of my family around me, I'm talking about Israel. I have a responsibility to show chesed. Because I have chesed. This supersedes grace. Chen is a good thing. Grace is a great thing. Don't misunderstand. But chesed is what binds us to God. It's what binds us to one another. And that's what Titus 2, 2, 3 through 5, and if you don't know, this is, this is the Titus 2 women. This is the whole thing where, 
where women are encouraged to teach younger women. What are they supposed to teach them? They're supposed to teach them to love their husbands, teach the younger women to love their husbands, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands. This is that same thing, starting at home and then, in verse 20, moving out. Now, verse 20, kaf. Kaf parsa le'ani, verse 20. Somebody reads that. Well, that's the she extends her hands on the floor. She extends her hands to the floor. She stretches out her hands to the why does it say it twice? Anytime the sage is it's the same thing, you know, it's like nice poetry, you know, because it's parallelism. What is it? Emphasis. It strengthens it, number one. Whenever whenever it repeats something, either the same way or differently, it strengthens it. Well, you said before it goes with the previous verse, and doesn't the previous verse kind of repeat itself too? Yes, it does. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's a double double. Double double is important, and that's the point. Two halves of this verse. The first is who is humiliated. He's poor, right? He's humiliated by his need. Okay? So she gives him secret. To the second, who's completely destitute, she reaches out publicly and gives a double portion. I get, there's examples. You walk around Jerusalem, there's beggars. It's not because people are poor and hungry. Don't misunderstand. It's because people have hesed in Jerusalem. America lacks hesed. That's why you don't find, see people begging. That's why we want to hide that's right. We don't want to see people begging. Let me tell you something. It's sad to see someone beg. No one should be begging. But you need to understand. The Bible says God will always give us the poor. Why? Because he wants us to respond. Chesed. So, in Jerusalem you see people begging. You see those who are ashamed. You give. You don't give it openly. And then you see those that are openly begging in, in, in public. Obviously, just give it to them. It's fine. They're not embarrassed by it. It's okay. You're not hurting their feelings. It's okay. But the one, the one that doesn't want to be poor, that takes it very personally, is humiliated by it. You shouldn't do that. You should make it seem that it came from somewhere else, didn't come from you. Y'all, did y'all read the story of uh, Gershon uh, Bird? You understand? Yeah. Gershon was a, just a just a wonderful man. Re- religious probably for the last dozen years or so. Lived in, in Israel. And... Uh, he drowned on his birthday this last year. And it was only after his birthday that his wife discovered. A lady came to his door and said, I need to tell you about your husband. Oh, great. What's this going to be about? I need to tell you that I've been managing his money. No, I, he doesn't have any money. No, I've been managing his money for charity. What? He doesn't have any money. No, I've been managing a lot of money for charity. I give he he would give me money and I would give it to people in ways that they weren't supposed to find out. He find people that that couldn't pay for their seminary training, and he'd say, "Oh, this special deal just came open, you know, and and uh, you know if you'll if you'll sign up for this, I get extra points on my credit card, and and you'll get you know your seminary pay for a year. Who knew?" <laughs> Or he'd do stuff like tickets. He'd buy people tickets to get wherever they needed to go on, you know, airplane tickets. And what he'd do is he'd say, he'd send him the same thing. He'd say, hey, you sign up for this. I get credit for it, but please do it. And then you get the ticket for free. Well, they didn't know he already paid for it. See, he constantly did his chesed privately, secretly. The walls, that there was a group called that would put prayers in the walls that would, if you would send them an email, they would take your prayer and they would put it in the wall. They'd pray for it for a year. And they put it in the wall. He paid for that. 
it, it reminds me of, I, I just finished reading a biography on the Benny Shkai. And uh, there's a story in there <clears throat> when he was a young child, like five, six years old, his father would give him and his siblings on, on uh, Friday morning, he would give each of them some money so that they could go uh, to the market and buy candy or a treat like that for Shabbat. And that was kind of like a well, family tradition that he, in, in a way that he blessed his kids. Well, um, so he'd give out the money and, you know, and then that night as Shabbat started, you know, and then over during the course of uh, the Sabbath, he would, the father would see all of his children, except for the Benny Shkai, they'd all be eating their candy or whatever treat it was they bought on Friday with the money game. And he would always ask the Benny Shkai, where's your candy? And he's like, oh, I already ate it. Yeah. And this went on for like, you know, like several years. Finally, um, his sister started to suspect something. So Friday morning, his dad hands out the money and they all go to the market and uh, but she follows the Benny Shai and uh, he would actually kind of take a detour and he was going to this old widow's house who you know, was basically destitute and couldn't you know, get out for herself he would, well he would go to the market he would buy food and then he would go to the yeah. widow's house and give her food and this, and, you know, and this he did this from like age Five, six to like nine or ten, you know, um, and it and it was the secret, same kind of secret, secret testing. Yeah, it reminds me that when Juliana and I signed our house papers, um, this complete stranger courier shows up in my office and has me sign for this envelope. There's no name. Now you're in the airport. Really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get the envelope and it's it's got my name written on it, but it doesn't have any any other distinguishing marks. And the inside is a little note that says for your new home. Again, handwritten. I have no idea who it is. And literally hundreds of dollars of cash. Um. And to this day, I still don't really know who did that. It, it, it almost kind of feels like God just. Lessons. Well, again, that's, and that's the point is, and, that, and the person that's showing this kind of testing knows that. You did the the reward that they have, not just laid up. The reward they haven't given is immeasurable. She knows this. Eshekhael knows this. This is why she's busy doing it. James tells us true and undefiled religion is caring for widows and orphans and those who are in prison. Lamed. I think this is the last one we have here. Verse 21. Lo tel le tel mishaleh. She fears no snow. Somebody read that for us. She is not worried for her household because of snow, but her whole household is dressed in crimson. Oh, red means something. It's the cross. Not only is it, yeah, well, not only is it red. Not only is it red. She's clothed with crimson. What is it? It's wool. It's red wool. Red wool. It's definitely not red bull. Red bull. If it was red bull, I'd be right there. Okay, she doesn't fear trouble or tribulation or Gehenna. This is what the sages said. She fears no snow for her household. Well, it doesn't snow a lot in Jerusalem, so it's not really a big deal. What are they talking about? It's got to be something more. It's got to be more something more. Not that they, she doesn't fear. The Eshekhael does not fear literal snow. But there's also something else being conveyed here. 
She doesn't fear. She doesn't fear trouble or tribulation for Gehenna. In fact, this is the thing they really wanted to focus on. Gehenna. She's not afraid of hell. Well, the fact that it does. Her household's clothed with good deeds. The fact that it doesn't snow often is why it's trouble, right? I mean, it's just like here in Charlotte. Who would expect it? The one or two days, it blows down. The whole city comes to screeching halt because it's trouble when it happens. Y'all, if you know Eshekai, you know she has no fear. It's true. Yalkut Shimoni says, clothed in scarlet is the blood of circumcision. Whoa! Where'd that come from? Out of That's like, come on! There's the cross, baby. Yeah, it is a cross. Listen, listen. I want, I want you to think about this for a moment. She's Eshet Chayil. She has sons. At eight days, father's supposed to circumcise. But, you know, she's the one that brought this little baby into the world. And if he, you know, it's going to be tough to get him away from her to snip, Right? The blood of circumcision is the red. Anytime you're reading scripture, we're first thinking circumcision. I was just going to say that sounds close to uh, Moses and Zipporah, right? So, why does she fear no trouble or tribulation or Gehenna? My sons are circumcised. And my daughters are married circumcised men. It is good deeds, but she sees circumcision as very important. Why? Why in specifically about Gehenna? Okay. So, Father Abraham's there. He's outside. He's not in it. I'm sorry, there's no bosom of Abraham. Abraham's bosom was right here. His belly. <laughs> Close to it. Hug me, Dad. Right? That's Abraham's bosom. But he's outside Gehenna. What's he doing outside Gehenna? He's checking to see if he's not Peter. He's not saying who gets to go in or not. He's checking to make sure, whoa, you don't belong here. Get away from here. (laughs) You're circumcised, buddy. (laughs) I don't know how he knows it must be. My next one is question. So you may think that's a little weird. No, no that's not weird compared to this next <laughs> <laughs> No, no, actually, this is pretty cool. If I told you anytime God says say something twice, cool. twice, the same thing two times, there's something important here. So Midrash Tanhuma says the spelling of scarlet is the same as two. Red and two are the same thing. It's the same word. There's no vowels there. It doesn't say her... She fears no snow for her household, for all her household is closed with two. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. And they named these verses. I Why did they name these verses? Because these are the commandments that are doubled. You so still, somebody, uh, I got Deuteronomy 15.8. You shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Where's the verb is repeated there. You shall lend, 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 lend. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you. Give, 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 give. Verily, 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 verily. Moses, Moses. If you think about this now, I want you to back up all these verses we've been going through. This, there's a very powerful thing. Her good deeds are often being exhibited by how she treats people inside and outside the family, but in particular, poor people or whatever else, right? These are the measurement of her good deeds, clothed with good deeds. And now it's talking about those two verses. 
are talking about double commands that talk about giving to poor. Even my, you know, holy English Bible picks up on oh, this. The, it's fire. There's, yes. a, there's, a, there's a footnote that says, instead of straw, or in double thickness. Double? <laughs> double. That's good. Red, red, red. <laughs> two, two colors. Yeah. So these double commandments. Now, listen. We, we we need to pay attention when just when there's when they say just say something about the Hebrew that we don't find in the English. We need to know they know something we don't know. Okay. I like the circumcision thing. That's my preference. But I had to tell you about the two commandments. It's pretty. They could both be. Right. You shouldn't get circumcised twice. In your heart, oh, I got you circumcised go. in my heart. Now do it for real. <laughs> um, it's also to the contrast that not fearing trouble with being generous, because one of the things that the sages begin on um, throughout the uh, the time when it talks about not uh, being begrudging, mm-hmm. they talk about the idea that those who are not generous and are miserly will find that if they like they mistreat the, the poor and the orphan. They will end up leaving their wives and widows and children as orphans. So they will suffer by not being generous to those who are needy, by becoming needy themselves. So she's not afraid of becoming needy she's generous. because she's generous. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, so that you know, you can understand a little bit of the sage's mentality when the sages say that a circumcision of a convert, uh, a proselyte, had to draw blood. Blood is the most important part of it. There's nothing to cut off, it doesn't matter. Cuts, cuts of blood. Blood. Is there a way to do that without? Well, I mean, the idea is, well, I'm already circumcised. Oh, so physical circumcision is not. Snip something, baby. Snip something. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, actually, y'all know this. Some of you know this. The Talmud actually talks about people who come naturally circumcised. You know, there's nothing. There's no foreskins. What do we do? Make some blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Qualities of Eshet We've talked about it in very, in very specific terms, specifically about our wives, making reference to other, other godly women, uh, and it does represent the ideal woman. There's no question. We've talked about that. Maybe there's not a single woman that, that has all of these qualities, but the really the point of this language and the sages honed in on this. If this is Israel or this is us, this is the people of God that's being described. Then it's describing how we are supposed to respond in His world as. Our master. This is our response. So when we read about Eshekhael, it's not just an academic, I need to find a woman like that, or wow, I'm glad my wife is like that. It ought to be, this is my responsibility to be like that. And I want to focus on that word chesed throughout all of these verses. You see this constantly at at work in her good deeds, that she is full of chesed, loving kindness. And this is what he expects of us. Final comments? Yes, sir. I think that um, through this particular lesson, it's astonishing to me that I, I find myself thinking about my own wife, thinking about your wife, thinking about his wife, thinking yeah. about the, the wives that are represented here, and, 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 and all that. But then, as you just pointed out, the flip side is we are also the bride. So, it, you know, if, if we're not looking at it's both sides yeah. it's us and it's her it's us representing this to her it's us a- attempting to live this out for him it, it, I mean, it's the whole there's the whole thing this is the walk this is this is life in covenant relationship 
with Hashem. Both sides of the same coin. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Gentlemen. Blessing for the Zahar? There's always a blessing. Amazing. When the rabbis of old take leave of each other at the study hall of Red Amin, they would say to one of one another, You shall see you shall see your world in your life, and your end shall be with the light of the world to come, and your hope for many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding. May your mouth speak wisdom, and may your tongue bring forth song. May your eyelids look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah. And may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge and your kidneys rejoice in righteousness. And your feet run to hear the words of the Ancient of Days. Amen. 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 Thank you.